Welcome to Exagility. I'm your host, John Coleman. Hi everyone, I'm here with uh, Kyle Richardson, Carlin Mumby and Dave Nixon today. Um, how are you all doing guys? Very well, thank you. Good, thank you John. Nice to be here. I'd love you to be here as well. And, and the question we're going to talk about today is why organisations need to widen the scope of Agile and where and how to start. Just to get the, the ball rolling, um, in the previous episode, we talked about uh, what is agile, what is agility, and uh, just to kind of uh, set the scene, because if we're talking about why organizations need to widen the scope of agile, what, what does that even mean, right? So just to uh, broaden the scope a little bit, uh, what I wrote earlier this week was that organizational agility is about creating an adaptable organization with a higher possibility to drive disruption that could be in society, the industry, or the marketplace. And it's manifested through more effectiveness in optimizing current value, uh, getting value for the products you already have, services you already have, and capturing unrealized value, maybe products, customers, uh, services uh, you haven't discovered yet. With more frequency of impact, more quality, more learning, less drag, more flow, more efficiency and more work sustainability. It looks like cognitively diverse people collaboration. Um, we don't really mind where how that's done. It could be through holacracy or agile or lean, lean agile, product management, the three ways of DevOps, or even just following values or principles from some manifesto like um, the agile manifesto, agile people manifesto, modern agile, and so on. But what it feels like is more humanity, more authenticity, more leadership, uh, more engagement, and more consideration, not just for current revenues, but also future revenues. Hi, John. Thanks for inviting me. I'm CEO of Elidex and I have been leading the Innovate UK back to shine project on as a collaboration platform, which we've been developing over the past five months. That's been really interesting. So although my background is in employment law and also in HR, I've now evolved and emerged, as many people have during the COVID crisis, into another um, part of my life, which is now focusing on enabling collaboration for uh, people who want to solve or need to solve complex problems. Okay, so I'm Kyle Richardson. Uh, I guess I'm your traditional software manager type, but, uh, but less traditionally, I have no idea how I got here. And most of the time I confess I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm way more interested in people 
how to help them become better at whatever it is they want to become better at. My name's David Nixon. I run a business called Creative Edge, which is all about narrative. Uh, my background is in health and social care, uh, creative writing and performing, and the, the common denominator is narrative and stories. And I use these to help people, to help solve problems, and to uh, kind of make up my life as I go along as well. So Kyle, Carlin, and Dave, this question, why organizations need to widen the scope of Agile and where and how to start? I think that one of the problems here is the sort of, where do we start? As you say, where do we start? And viewing everything as being potentially something that you can use Agile for, which in my experience is definitely not the case. So what I like to do is I, I use the Kinevin model or framework because it's helpful to, especially when I'm working with other people, to help them start the process and say, okay, well, if you look at the, if you look at Dave Snowden's framework, you can identify very quickly where you're going to use best practice and good practice. Those are, you're not going to need agile there. And they're very, they're more linear. You look at the model, uh, the, at the framework, it's easy to find that on the, on the internet, obviously, to start with that. And then when you do find that you're into a complex situation where you need to probe, sense, respond, you've got emergent practice happening. That's, to me, where the Agile is absolutely perfect and it, it works so brilliantly well. So I don't know if uh, Kyle and Dave agree with that, but that's where, where I would like to start with it in terms of <coughs> blank sheet of paper, uh, how do we recognize an agile potential? I'd probably be inclined to say, uh, maybe there's a, there's a tiny bit of disagreement on my part. Uh, I mean, I, I definitely don't think um, we, we need to uh, uh, fold an agile process around everything we do. But I do think that, that, that agile in terms of the, you know, the agile manifesto, agile in terms of agile as a philosophy can be applied across any business and, and probably in any segment of any business if if we put our minds to it and can deliver value. So yeah, but I, but I do agree with what you're saying about about the areas and the and the you know the pain points maybe where agility stands out. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of the Kinevan model and I love the the five domains there the the obvious simple clear domain where you just follow a recipe and just do something you know you don't need any project management method just go off and do something. And then the complicated domain where like the domain of experts really, where, you know, you kind of know what you don't know kind of thing. And you either spend more time figuring out what to do, or you hire the people who have the knowledge and you get the experts together and they can, they can work away. And that's kind of the home for like self managing teams really. And then the complex domain is kind of the home for unknown unknowns where you, you kind of don't really know where to start, uh, but you got the right people together but you don't just rely on experts. You you also rely on a bit of fresh thinking as well. Often, maybe the experts are get stuck in analysis paralysis, and so having some people from a different school of thought can actually be really really useful. 
And uh, as Carolyn was saying, you know, a lot of Agile is kind of in that space. A lot of Agile is actually in the complicated space as well, because that's the home of self-managing teams. But in the complex space, the more you get into it, um, sometimes in Scrum, for example, they've got this thing called a product backlog, but you could be deeply complex. You might not even know what product you're building. You might not even know mm. who the customer is. So mm. you might have to do loads of experiments. You might even go into the uh, what I call the positive chaos, where you kind of kind of relax the constraints for a while, put people in an incubator, uh, give give them a time constraint, and they kind of uh, they they kind of knock themselves out. And I agree, Kyle, as well with you, is that in that actually one of the things you get out of the Kinevan is that it's kind of telling us that depending on which domain you're in you kind of act differently. The disorder domain in the middle is like uh, what I often refer to as the WTF domain. I don't mean waterfall when I say that. Where do we go? What do we do? But you, you could just uh, you could just tell people what to do for a bad chaos or you know you trust the teams or whatever. But uh, I love Kinevan because it kind of explains that when you're in the complex domain, you probably shouldn't be using Gantt charts. You, you might need... <laughs> people adapting to to kind of so yeah it's really useful from that point of view and and adding to Kyle's point about you know you know can you use agile like I'm, I'm using agile in in non-tech for the last three years and mm-hmm. I've had some interesting results with it but I, I did have to think a little bit differently to what I did would have done previously in software development for example and not quite the same, but more or less, hmm. more or less the same approaches uh, will, will will work. Well, I heard you say the words chaos. Sorry, Kyle, I heard you say chaos. And I know that I think of Dave, as he's self-declared chaos engineer. So I didn't know if he had something to add there, which hmm. might, might be of interest, I'm sure. Yeah, I like chaos. But I think it's a misunderstood thing, isn't it? I mean, chaos, people think of chaos as just, ah, it's chaos. So it has that adjectival element to it but really it's it's just an unquantifiable set of complex systems all interacting in a way that it's impossible to fully understand from my perspective as as a narrative person what i look for is you know what's emerging from that what are the patterns uh, applying sort of you know pattern recognition what are the patterns that are emerging from that chaos and this is kind of how we, we do a lot of our work. We, we look for what's emerging and that becomes a narrative. We then compare that to what is known. If there's similarities to what is known, then we can kind of say, okay, it looks a little bit like that. We exp- and this is kind of how humans make sense of the world because we live in chaos every single day, but we don't see it because we have all these social filters in place. So, yeah. so, so you, you can use that, can't you? I mean, you can pick that up and you, you can run with it. So if you are starting with a blank page, you don't have to have necessarily come to terms with agile before you can start to be agile. And some people are just born with this agility, I find, and then other people have to really try and practice it to, to get it. But if you, once you've identified an area that you'd like to be agile in, or a problem which you feel agile can help with, then, um, okay, what, what are you gonna do then? What, what's next? How do you get moving with it? Well, there are lots of different ways you could go about it. I'm currently reading Ed Morrison's book called um, Strategic Doing, which I'm really enjoying. And you know that's about giving people the skills to be able to solve wicked 
problems, which I like the idea of as well, because there's really life-changing, world-changing problems. Some of them don't have to be, of course. But Ed's uh, founder and director of the Agile Strategy Labs at Purdue University. And because of the work that we're doing with Shine in the, uh, the Shine project as a collaboration platform, I'm really interested to know more about once we've done the analysis of understanding when people are collaborating and how they're collaborating, we found with the help of working with Kyle and his teams that what they wanted to know was what now, what next? Okay, that's interesting. You've told me this, you might be right. You might not be right about my level of collaboration in this team. Um, and that might have an impact on my ability to be agile, which obviously we think it has. What next? What now? Which was a very intelligent point to make. We needed to go beyond just observing. We needed to give people conversation starters, maybe, so that they could start to move their, their actual self-improvement, their performance forward. And that's been a really interesting experiment that we've done with Kyle and his teams. It was a real eye-opener for us about how didn't matter how good the teams were at Agile, they were really keen to know more. And how can I be better at Agile? How can I, how can I be more Agile, I suppose? Yeah. I'm glad you brought up collaboration, Carlin, because in the complex space from a Kenevan point of view, collaboration is what's really needed. So like if you're just working, you got a few teams working together, they might actually need to collaborate with people outside their team of teams, uh, some other part of the organization. Yes. And you, if you get good collaboration going and some really fresh thinking, it helps you to deal with that. So really, really glad that you're looking into that with, with Shine and uh, the other uh, services and product offerings that you have. Uh, just an, an article that I was reading by some Dutch researchers about narrative reflection as a means to explore team effectiveness kind of identified that narrative processes understanding the story it's not just a way of promoting cohesion it's a really good way of identifying incongruences as well within teams because you have multiple we have layers and layers and layers of these stories that we take part in and tell and express and receive and they're, they're individual and they're collective and they're social and they're geopolitical and I think that bringing, bringing the, what I've learned through working with Kyle and Carolyn is that Agile is very much about creating a collective narrative that kind of is, that becomes the vessel for the journey. And by applying sort of plot theory, we can expand that outwards. You know, we all buy into these stories and we all share them in some way or another. Perhaps this is a way that Agile can expand into other areas by looking for, you know, what's the shared experience? Yeah. Where's the intersection between these spheres of shared experience? And those are the points, you know, those are then the entry point. I think that's where, Dave, like the, the narrative patterning stuff that, you know, that, that, that you've been talking with me about and, 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 and Carolyn's point about, about collaboration measurement tools like Shine and, and where they lead to next in terms of questions, that, that's where they fit together with what, with what John's saying. And, and that's where we need to widen things out. And, and, it, and it's where I'm seeing things go from complicated to complex is, is much less in, like John, in that traditional software development space where I still live and manage teams. You know, it works really well. It's much more when we, when we bump up against HR systems within within larger businesses obviously i'm working within within my business my tech it, it's you know it's it's pretty large like five thousand people around the world and where we bump up against hr systems where we bump up against finance teams that's where i think expanding that agility concept 
to enable those teams to fit in, to enable us to have cross-functional teams, to enable the concept, even like bringing forward the scrum concepts, John, into that wider uh, business world so that we're bringing together and, and using tools like narrative patterning, like collaboration measurement tools to, to maybe keep us on track, tell us where we're going, but, but really trying to bring agile practices into the wider world so that that we can have cross-functional teams that include different people from different business sectors. Yeah, totally. And the other thing I'd say as well is that when we are reaching out across, I think it's important that we allow people to do whatever type of agility suits them. I so often see a kind of a pill being kind of handed out, you know, take this pill, everything will be fine. This is our standard approach. You know, we got 2,500 people trained on this approach, whether it suits you or not. And you kind of do that kind of thing. And I think we need to be more flexible. It might feel less efficient, but if you really want the the change to, to stick, I think, and you want people to buy into it, I, I think it needs to suit them. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? So yes, amen. And the, the other thing I noticed as well is that like my current client, I'm, I'm, I'm a coach in a particular function and the other coaches are also assigned to a function. And there is something dysfunctional about that, but I, it, I don't lose heart. You can't help what you can't help where you get hired. But what you can do is if, for example, whatever function you're in, if your teams are kind of going into another function, for example, or going across a few functions as a, a value stream of work kind of cutting across a few, I think it's important that we try to link those things up. If people use Kanban boards, for example, that the boards are going across multiple functions so we can see what's going on. We can see what, what the story is. I think uh, otherwise we're just going to reinforce having very agile individual functions that don't really work well together. Very thin vertical silos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm very curious, Dave, about the narrative. I'd love to hear a few examples. So when people want to kind of widen the scope of, of agile and so on, what, what have you tried so far? Do you have any kind of stories to tell us or any examples to share in terms of what kind of narrative really kind of resonated with people? At the moment, I'm, I'm doing some um, very interesting work with Carol. Kyle is also lending a hand to the development of something that I'm called narrative patterning, which basically uses seven basic plots to try and promote alignment within teams, within organisations and within a marketplace. So by understanding a process as as a story we can kind of play things out in in a safe in a safe space and play is the operative word there as well we can play things out we can engage in creative and imaginative processes that we're all capable of anyone who ever tells me that they're not creative I see as a challenge to me to sit them down and prove to them that they are because we're all creative we're born creative we just lose access to it over the years we become jaded and and sort of brittle in our thinking. So this is one of the reasons why Agile is a great connection point for what I do, because it's it's a very kind of supple way of thinking, you know, and it, it engages with it engages with the unknown, it engages with innovation and new ways of doing things, or even old ways of doing things that we've forgotten about. One thing that we're one one thing that we're looking at, at the moment is and it actually came off the back of the podcast that we did, the, the kind of Rupert the Bear layout that I mentioned. I'm exploring ways of kind of using that to provide 
sort of immediate engagement and also depth and also hitting kind of, you know, multiple preferences for engaging with information as well. So visual and kind of more verbal, some short text, some long text. And as I was creating that, what occurred to me is that this looks very much like a Miro board as well. So this sort of almost sketchbook layout to things, I think engages with a part of us that loves stories and that loves being told and loves telling stories where we can kind of make the connections ourselves. When we allow people to make the connections themselves, you get more buy-in. Yeah, people don't you think? More involved. Yeah, and don't you think as well that we're being asked OD, you know, organisational development and um, culture, uh, people, HR, we're, we're being asked to develop a story, a narrative, and uh, to, because it's, it's a way of reaching everybody in the organisation so that we can circulate the, the story, the narrative, and, the, and align everybody, and also keep hearing back from people in a way which they find more relatable. So it's quite difficult to say, you know, if you ask somebody a direct question about how they're feeling, I mean, if you just take it down to the most basics about, you know, collaboration and you say, okay, well, you're not collaborating very well according to this, <laughs> what are you going to do about it? That, that's not very helpful. Whereas if in fact you're, you're able to start a conversation and say, well, when we look at the team as a whole, the way in which it's collaborating is a bit patchy. How do you think that might be affecting the, the story or the organisation, the narrative which we're trying to achieve? I mean, I'm working with a, a client at the moment who has developed um, a narrative mm. around, you know, the, what you'd expect. It's a very personal narrative to them. Uh, that's not the point. But the thing is that they've had to build in their vision, their North Star, their, their purpose, their why. Everything's had to be built into that narrative. So it becomes quite complex. You've got to sort those things out. I mean, obviously, OKRs can help you with it at the beginning, objectives. Mm. But, but you've got to build everything in. It's all got to flow all the way through. And one of the things that they're using is that what the why is for them is to build everlasting relationships. Now that is so powerful at every level of the organization. I've found personally, looking at it with an HR lens, that I'm able to make that work for me in so many ways and help people to improve, connect, move on, align using that because it's not confrontational. It's helpful, supportive, and it's authentic. Just to add to something you mentioned at the beginning there about conveying the narrative of an organisation to the people working within it. I mean, you could, it can run both ways. You know, what, what, what is the narrative of the people working within it individually and collectively? How does that align with the organisation? So we can, you know, we can make top and bottom adjustments. The, the, river, the river metaphor, you know, the river is everywhere at once. It's in the mountains, it's at the sea, it's in the middle. It's, it's all I love the Cower model, which you shared with me. I, I came to the Cower model through Dave, and I found it to be really, really helpful. The idea that you, know, you have this river metaphor, everybody seems to be able to relate to it. And it is a way of, it's culturally neutral, which again, for, for global organisations, is very important. We describe it as culturally responsive. That's... Sorry, it's, culturally it was, no, neutral, all, I, I said. Yes, it is. It has to be neutral before it can be responsive, I suppose. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, a river, everyone knows what a river is. Everyone understands yeah. 
and I mean, this is the language of metaphor, is it? Which is, isn't it? Which is a yeah. such a powerful device within creating narratives. So, Dave, I'm curious. Those narratives, what what would they look like? Is it like a, a comic sketchbook? Is it a video? Is it a more a piece of communication text? Uh, well, that's the story, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The, I think the the narrative is. Wow, that's a really good question because I. I see, I think the narrative is, is what is, is what exists between individuals, between entities, processes that take place. And we tell stories to express these narratives. Well, yeah, because, you know, Dave, we were just speaking to somebody yesterday, a, a colleague that we've, we've met through networking, and it, we'd introduced the David Marquette video turning the ship around with with him which of course you're all we're all familiar with very powerful and I think that's shown on something one of the uh, whiteboard doodle type yeah media and and it's only about a six minute video it's very very powerful very quick but you could do a lot with that narrative because I mean you can make it shorthand you could do it into cartoons as well like you know use small parts of it in your promotions or in your workshops and then you can use the the, the medium size and you can then you can extend it and and for bigger stories and more in-depth work and I suggested to to uh, this colleague that maybe for his own version because he was so taken with the turn the ship around idea that maybe he should get somebody in to do their own version of the whiteboard yeah. doodle and uh, and he has done he told us yesterday that he's actually done that and that they're so thrilled with it so you know yeah everybody is open to everybody isn't it to see it as you wish to see it well you've just you've just inspired me to provide some clarity on john's question there carolyn let's put it that way Good. if you think of the narrative as a kind of it's as a kind of a, a mass of inf- of a mass of connected threads and nodes if you like each with their own meaning each with their own meta attached and you can you can pick one of those nodes and pull it up and it will bring with it a mass of other stories and characters and actions and behaviors and we can explore that narrative by being precise about which of those nodes or which of those threads you're selecting and i think this is where it has use in an organ on an organizational scale is you can kind of zoom in and out and you can zoom right into something, get right down to the granular, but that small piece of information or that, that character or that behavior or whatever is attached to a much larger narrative. And you can track that because the whole thing's connected. It's a mesh of various phenomena. Just getting back to the Turn the Ship Around video as well, that, that really resonates with me as well because you've got Daniel Pink with Drive, for example, he had a cartoon doodly video as well. And Henrik Nieberg with the um, the Agile was the, the product owner in a nutshell. I think it's been watched like over 10 million times or something like that. I think same with Drive. So actually, you just reminded me the power of doodle videos and telling stories in just a few minutes. Yeah. Probably the most powerful communication approach I've seen, actually. Blowing paint on a cave wall across your hands. This is what I mean, the old ideas, maybe. And speaking of nodes, I mean, Elon Musk has just rebranded his job title as Chief of Tech Node. Chief of Tech Nodes. So, so obviously nodes are extremely powerful, as we can see, the most powerful brains in the world. 
Well, I had a real realization earlier on, actually, just as I was preparing for this, that we are we contain within us nodes of other people's stories plus the thread of our own. We're in that sort of like in a kind of quantum way, we are both nodal and threadual at the same time. Until we are continuums. We are continuums, yes. And, and particles within the continuums of others. Yeah. And wouldn't it be great if we could see the organisation like that more readily, see the organisation mm. like that? And maybe narratives can bring can help us to do that. Because if you've got that, you know, if you're if you're back to the question, why organisations or or not the question, but statement, why organisations need to widen the scope of agile and then the posited question where and how to start. If you if you are seeing them as the hierarchical approach, if you're still stuck in that routine of hierarchy, I think it's going to be very difficult to really make agile flow through your organization. Yeah. It's going to be tough, isn't it, Kyle? Yeah, it is. Having just recently had to create some kind of organizational chart for, for, for a few hundred people, I can tell you I, I, I have had to fit in with an HR process that demands that kind of that visual that that makes you feel like people are in narrow boxes that and, and they find it hard to step out. But but I've augmented that with actually presenting a view to the whole organization that's more biological. So a model where cross-functional teams are effectively behaving as cells and individuals, and this speaks John, to your idea of like, how do we get across these verticals? Individuals are free to break off in a kind of an antibody function and drift across and form into, and attach themselves to, to other cells in order to make those cells more functional, more productive, and, and also to, to, to group cells together. And I'm not even sure what the biology is for that function, but I think you can, you can augment that kind of org chart type way, that hierarchical view of things. And you can ask people to understand that sometimes there's a comfort factor in, in, in understanding a, a point in a hierarchy purely from a knowing you have a single point of truth, maybe. But, but for most of the functions that you work in your business life, you can actually abandon that and function in a much more biological, free-flowing way. Well, yeah, and the, and the, and the single point of truth is going to be out of date. That's the problem. Yes, you, you need to struggle to make that single point of truth something that's dynamic and keeps going. And uh, there's a lot of, I mean, John might be with his software background familiar with the GitLab work on this. They, they've tried really hard to establish like, and, and, and Carolyn, you'd like this from an HR perspective. Their sort of company handbook is an evolving, they have a handbook first approach. And, and, and everyone in the company can edit it. Everyone in the yeah. company can, can oh, augment yeah. it. And, and it's not the handbook that they made before. It's the handbook they have right now today. And it's always, it's always evolving. It's, it's a pretty cool way to think about it. Well, I'm a really big fan of that because if you put the, if you give the people, I know this is agile and this is basic stuff for agilists, but if you, it isn't necessarily for HR, a natural starting point. But if you, if you give the, the problem to the people closest to it, they will give you the answers you need. And actually, when you take that into an HR environment, everybody's happy usually with the outcome because peer pressure is one of those things where although your first thought is, yes, I'm going to change this handbook so that we never come to work, you then realize that you never get paid either. So before you, you start, oh, yeah. all right, okay, the trade-offs, but you're there doing that and solving that problem together. 
And I remember many years ago in um, a farmer situation where the uh, they had a, a, a problem with non-prescription drugs in the organisation uh, on the sort of the yeah, on the factory floor, if you like, and there was a problem and they needed, I mean, I'm going back 20 years and they needed to somehow solve this problem. And they thought that it'd be a really great idea if they bought a policy and looked to us and said, oh, could you write a policy? To so we can write a policy, but it doesn't make any difference. Wouldn't it be better to give that to a group, to the, a group of people within your organization who have to work on that factory floor with the people who are actually taking the drugs that they don't want them to be taking because it's obviously going to be affecting their lives and before you knew where they were they'd had this new policy put in place it worked really well the peer pressure made sure it happened and was implemented and it was only a few you know maybe three or four five six individuals that were causing the problem and they drifted out the organization and the vast majority of people remained uh, you know happy at work what, what, what could be better there's a great book called coaching agile teams by lisa adkins mm. And and yeah, and the the line from it that just never leaves my head, it's like it's like it's burnt into my brain, is take it to the team. And that's what she falls back to all the time. Don't try and figure out what the solution is. Take it to the team because the, it's the team that are faced with with implementing the solution that are the ones that are gonna figure out, help you figure out how to solve the problem. Just on that, Kyle, um getting back to the original question as well, in terms of like, you know, where and how do we start, right? So like taking back to the team but if we don't have if we don't delete some behaviors leadership level that becomes difficult doesn't it i'll give you an example like uh let's say there's a big boss and she says you know you will do this by this date no questions the commitment's already made to the customer before the teams have even looked at how big this thing is absolutely Absolutely. She, that, that, that person has to be willing to follow that same mantra. That has to flow all the way down. Like I know in my own leadership team, what I keep saying is, look, if you guys are crazy enough to act like I'm in a position of power above you just because the org chart says that, then you're, you're inviting me to act in horribly irresponsible ways that I don't want to do. Whereas, whereas if you're just willing to see us all as these nodes, that are to some extent freely forming and floating and we all want to achieve good things together and I want to bring my problems to you and you want to bring your problems to me, you, you're automatically, you're, I'm voluntarily being disempowered and brought down to just a, another member of the team. That leadership level needs to be able to think beyond themselves and be willing to, to, to give up that, that feeling of power to some extent, that behaviour. There's, there's, another, there's another element, isn't there, with with you know your position on the org chart which is accountability and responsibilities there are fixed points i think that it's very easy to kind of go down the rabbit hole of very postmodern sort of view of the world of everything is something that can be deconstructed and reformed in a way that's more sort of pleasing to us in some way but that's not necessarily the case there will always be fixed points and perhaps these are the points a little bit like coral growing on an old wreck. Yeah. Perhaps these are the, these are the, the anchor points. The anchor points. Yeah. To to actually expand ideas from, you know, there's a great book called the social construction of what by a Canadian philosopher of mathematics called Ian Hacking. And, uh, and he kind of, what he's basically saying is, you know, well, hang on a minute. Let's not deconstruct ourselves out of existence. There are certain things that are concrete 
And in this, in a similar way, within plot theory, there are fixed points within the seven basic plots. We always have a hero of some sorts, and we always need a champion for bringing yeah. in new ideas into an organisation. Yeah, and absolutely. The hero can be the organisation. Well, if you want to play that out on a, on a global... It depends on scale, doesn't it? It could be. It could be the monster. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Because one of the things I think you have to have heroes at, at various levels, probably, Dave. And, and and I think as well, that accountability, that's actually that's the part that the leadership definitely signs up to. They they have to be willing to trust enough to give away a lot of that command and control, but that they absolutely have to be accountable for, mm-hmm. for what happens mm-hmm. and what yeah. they, their, their teams produce. I think I prefer the word uh, champion, but I'm not even sure if it's the right word to, to hero, because one of the things that I look for as leaders are getting more comfortable with agility is that they they stop believing in um, superstars. If, if only I had Carolyn on my team, everything would be great. And uh, uh, If you had Carolyn on your team, it, it would be. Yeah, I'm it sure it would be, you know what I mean? But yeah. there's only so many Carolyns, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, there's only one. <laughs> and so... We very interesting. One of my colleagues told me recently that they noticed a pattern that the people who were the superstar, the super, uh, the teams of the superstars, were not doing as well as the teams of the so-called ordinary Joe Soaps, Mary Blogs, or whatever. Really, really interesting. The team performance was sometimes if the ego is a bit too strong. I guess it depends what we mean by hero, right? Because uh, we we do uh, we do want to be inspired, don't we? We we do want people to inspire us, and we want to inspire ourselves. It's kind of an interesting area, isn't it? Uh, the whole idea of well, we never hear about the heroes that die in Act One, do we? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I bet there's a lot more of them. Yeah, I hope there are. Yeah, I hope <laughs> there are. yeah. So yeah, we have to be careful, I suppose, with black and white thinking. All right, don't we? Because you know. Yeah, that's yeah. right, John. And I think yeah. if we, because if we feel that leadership is broken to some extent and hierarchical models are outdated and outmoded, yeah. then maybe as well we're being binary about hero and monster, and maybe we need to be more layered about that. Yeah, that makes oh, sense. yeah. There's there's layers to everything, though, isn't there? I mean, the monster character or the or the anti-hero character. The, the one you love the most is always the one that there's that little bit of good in them. There's that little bit in them, that little light shining in the darkness. And and the hero that you love the most is always the one who is just, he's a shining light. He's noble in every regard, but, but you know, secretly he's just quite mean to some one person or, <laughs> or he can't quite get past his he angst. With his, with his, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is though, that the stories that I've, I've experiencing in discussion with Dave and yourself is that they're quite in, in terms of needing to use them to convey the story of the organization and the people within it and the mission and the vision and the North Star and all this. They're quite simplistic. We haven't got the opportunity at this stage to make them into richer characters because how long are we going to keep the keep this going? I mean, we've got, you've got to encourage everybody within the organization to feel that, that the story is accessible without them actually giving over their lives to reading it like a book. Yeah. So, yeah. so I guess all our characters are a bit black and white. Wouldn't that be amazing if an organisation could create a narrative to yeah. promote the agile principles or, or for whatever reason they create this narrative and then 
and then it grows and it becomes a story and then it and then yeah. they make a film out of it and then there's yeah. a, you know wouldn't that be amazing if that that would be I'm incredible. with you Dave I'm with yeah, you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so, so team members could add their own yeah teams yeah. could add their own parts of the story that would be yeah. brilliant taking yeah, up your your point earlier Kyle by uh, by Christian Slater or whatever or Red yeah show my age yeah. Um, when know. when can we spin off of the uh, the production company, Dave? I'm in. Well, I've, I've, it's on a post-it note, so I guess that's <laughs> that's a start. That's that's it. That's that's <laughs> sprint done. <laughs> John, so, can we spin a kanban board around this to just get uh, moving? Good, uh, I think we. Yeah, are, yeah. Yeah. As we long as it's made like out of reclaimed timber, I don't mind. <laughs> Less backlogs. <laughs> So just to kind of getting back to the question, right? So why organizations need to widen the scope of Agile and where and how to start, right? In terms of, we had nice discussion there about, you know, uh, black and white thinking and maybe things that we need to delete. But there's one thing that I think is really, really important. And when I see it, 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 it can be a blocker. It's when there's complacency about the need to improve that uh, we've, it doesn't matter which approach they use, Scrum, Kanban, Lean, UX, whatever. But they, they put something in and we're done now. We're agile. Boom. And uh, we don't need to improve. You know, we got a Scrum Master. We're all good. Happy days. I don't know. I, I, I've actually seen teams put something in and then they did have some kind of an improvement, all right, an immediate one. But that improvement goes straight to the bottom line and then the, the company is expecting more, you know. So, but I'm not even talking about the company expecting more. It's just the whole attitude to learning and not being satisfied that we that good enough i mean sometimes good enough is good enough but the need for improvement continual improvement i think is key really for fragility isn't it well you're getting into rewards now aren't you to some extent there i think be, yeah, it yeah, makes me feel yeah. about that and i don't know this is a very thorny problem but i mm-hmm. guess if you've got theories around how to motivate people to continue championing the the growth of and, and improvement of the organization then they need to have their minds that open to any kind of improvement it's not just about yes. carrying forward with uh, being agile or or whatever you know they might have been given as a mandate of some sort or tools to do things with but how do we get people to be really creative and bring their colleagues along with them that's that's a challenge i don't suppose i mean i know Patrick Lencioni is doing a, a new, he's, he's just launched a new system. I can't remember what it's called now, but it's helping you to identify there are six characteristics that we all, uh, that, that we need to, that organizations or people, humans display. And we're good at two of them, terrible at two of them and, and sort of like, you know, meh about the other two. Um, and, but they, if you're gonna get a project done then you're going to need to dis- to have these characteristics across the whole team somehow. And you go from the, the innovator, the inventor, if you like, to the uh, right through to the closer, the person who likes to get things done and make them happen. So once you identify your, oh, I think it's called gen- my genius or something like that. So once you've identified your type of genius, then you can say, yeah, that's what I do really, really well. And then you don't feel bad about the fact that actually, I mean, it's like me with you know, Shine. I mean, it's been fantastic developing Shine. It's been brilliant taking it to the point where it's an MVP, but I'm not the person to make it, to take it out across the world and, and sell it across the world. That's, that's somebody else would need different talents for that. 
And I know we're aware of that to some extent, but how we categorise it is another matter. Just on Shine, Carolyn, what's the latest with it? Um, what are your what are your market plans and so on? Well, thank you. Yeah, we've got a we've got markets across the world that are interested, which is fantastic. We're looking to work more closely with organisations that can help us to develop the insights for users, because that's going to be the thing that really gives it, I think, gives it flight. And we've got some more uh, field trials planned with Kyle's teams and and a couple of other teams as well to feed back into the process so that we can understand more and more about it, its impact and the sort of, it's got so much potential, John, and, you know, with the resources we've got, we are limited to a certain area of collaboration. That's it. That's what we have to do. But we would, we're looking for cornerstone clients at the moment who can come along and, and say, yes, we've got a, we're, whether or not they might be, for example, looking at rolling out agility to their supplier networks, you know, to their supply chain. Maybe they're already an Mm -hmm. agile organization themselves, but they want to encourage collaboration between their own teams and those out in the supply chain. Shine would offer a great opportunity to do that. Sounds really good. And where where would people find out about um, Shine, Carolyn? What website would they go to and all that kind of stuff? Well, very shortly, they'll be able to go to shineverse.com. But for the moment, if they could uh, look me up on uh, LinkedIn, that would be great. Just Carolyn Mumby on LinkedIn. Cool. But yeah, shineverse.com will, I mean, the, the actual platform's live, but we haven't, ironically, haven't got the front end, the website <laughs> live yet. Yeah, no worries. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Thank you. I'd like to thank you all, uh, Kyle, uh, Carolyn and Dave. Thank you very much. Lovely chatting with you today about agility as always and uh, maybe we can have another chat some other point about rewards because we did touch on that today but let's see let's see uh, how, th- how things go thank you so much for coming thank you john it's been a pleasure cheers yeah thanks john thanks carol and dave as well if you would like your voice message to be featured on a future podcast episode uh, please leave a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash x agility forward slash message That's anchor.fm forward slash x agility forward slash message. Thank you.